Let's jump into our text this morning. I'm going to invite uh, Shelly Merritt up. She's going to read for us. If you've got your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to James chapter 4 if you want to use your phones, however you do that. But we're going to be reading James chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 6. And so would you please, if you're able, stand with me out of respect for God's Word as Shelly reads for us out of our text this morning. Shelly? Good morning, church family. James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. James 5, 1 through 6. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Church, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Shelley, thank you. Would you please bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning and this opportunity. We've had the, the wonderful privilege of already being able to sing our praises to you and give thanks for all the work that you've done, how you've saved and delivered and redeemed us. Um, we've had the opportunity to just celebrate life, new life um, coming into the church, new life coming into this world, and, and pray that your blessing and favor would be upon those kids and those families. And now we have the privilege of turning our attention to your word. Um, Father, it's not my words, it's your word. And we, we pray that um, you would help us as your people to be submissive to that, to have ears to hear uh, and eyes to see what you would have for us. And so, Lord, we ask your spirit to be with us this morning. Father, would your spirit come? Would he uh, in, engage us? Would he point our eyes and fix our eyes upon Jesus this morning that we might grow more and more in his likeness? Father, I pray for those that are here that may not know you. Um, Father, I just pray that they'd feel loved and they'd feel welcome. And Father, that you might encourage their hearts and, and help their eyes see the beauty of who you are and what you have done in your son, Jesus Christ, this morning as well. So Lord, be with us, guide us, direct us, give us your favor. Uh, Father, certainly speak through me this morning. I pray and ask these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's interesting. I was thinking about this sermon, and, and as I was writing it, I kind of started to um, laugh because the whole idea um, of me standing up here and, and even having the opportunity to preach and to teach to uh, this room of people uh, was something that I, I never, ever planned on. It was another something that I thought would ever be a part of my life. When I came into ministry um, many years ago, um, it feels like many, many, many years ago, but when I came into ministry years ago, um, my desire and, and 
uh, was to, to be on the mission field, was to go into missions. And so um, long story short, like I worked for a missions organization, ultimately ended up here at Central Christian as a missions pastor. Uh, me and my wife, we felt like that was something the Lord was calling us to. So we looked to going long term uh, to serve in, in France and in Marseille, to uh, share the gospel with people who had never had the opportunity to hear the gospel. When the Lord closed those doors, um, we, we had a door open, an opportunity for us to um, work for another church here in Wichita. Um, and that was a phenomenal time, a phenomenal season for Karen and I. Um, we loved that place. And, and we thought, man, we'd end our ministry here. We'd spend the rest of our time doing ministry in this church. And maybe one day we'd even plant a church. But in 2016, the elders of Central called me and asked if I'd be willing to come back and help uh, kind of get us to be a church and be a part of a process of becoming a church that is making disciples who make disciples. And so we initially were like, I, I don't know if that's what God has, but we prayed and ended up coming back as a discipleship pastor. And then six months later, um, the, the senior pastor at the time resigned and took a job in Tennessee and then ended up as an interim. And here I am five, six years later. Well, like, here's why I tell you this is like, we never planned this. How many of you in your lives recognize that uh, oftentimes where you end up looks nothing like what you thought? Like, not even close to what you thought. Like, I remember my dreams as a high school student, not close. Like, I didn't even end up in the same sphere like, uh, of life and world. And the reason I tell us this is because this is the reality for most of our lives. No matter how much we try to plan, no matter how much we try to lay our lives out before us, like, that plan and those plans often change. And they don't end up where we think they should or where they think that they will. God has a way of, of shifting those and moving those things around. And in James chapter 4, God is helping to ensure that his disciples, that their perspective and their attitude and their trust stays connected to the right things in the midst of all kinds of seasons of our lives. In the midst of good seasons, bad seasons, when plans are working, when plans aren't working, that our perspectives would stay fixed on the right thing. And so that's what James 4 is pointing us to, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we jump into the specifics of that, it's important for us to say right off the bat something that James is not communicating in this text. And the reason why I say that is because it's really easy for us to kind of get defensive when we read a text and start thinking, oh man, like, is this where Darren's going? Or is this what the text is, is trying to tell me? But here's something that James is not communicating to us. James is not rebuking believers for plans or for the desire for profit. Rather, he is rebuking them for worldly confidence they show in pursuing those plans and profit. That is an important distinction. He is not rebuking in this text that believers should be wise and make plans in their lives. Like that's not what he's doing. There's nowhere in the scripture that says that that's bad. In fact, there's places all over the scripture that say that God's people should be wise people, that we should be a people of planning, that we should make good decisions in life. And profit and wealth, these are not bad things. What James is specifically addressing here is the confidence that people can get in their own pursuit of their own plans and their own profit. And we might be tempted at times to put our confidence in our plans and what we can do and what we can gather upon ourselves and into our lives. And what James is pointing us to and what he's asking us to do in light of this 
is to start, as we address this issue and address our confidence, to start by considering life. But not just considering life, specifically considering life's fragility. James chapter 4, verse 14. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. It should make you feel good, right? You're just a mist. You appear here for a little time and then you just, you just vanish. But here's the point. Life is fragile. This should be at the forefront of a disciple's mind all the time. This isn't something that we should run away from or try to avoid. This is something that we should be aware of, that our life is fragile. And in James' effort to drive this idea home to the disciples that he's writing to, he points out two specific things to help us keep this at the forefront of our minds. The first one is this, that life's plans are also fragile. It isn't just life, but life's plans are also fragile. He says, come now, you who say tomorrow I'll do this or that. I love that. Like, come on now. Like, do you hear him being like, like, really? Like, I just want you to know, like, I know you're trying really hard, but you're going to come to realize that your plans don't work out very well. And I know what you're trying to say. Like, I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll go here, and I'll go there. And he's like, like, come. Let me, let me tell you what's really going to happen and what it should really be like. Again, James isn't saying plans are bad. My plans to try to serve the Lord on the mission field, that wasn't bad. Plans to go uh, on a vacation with my family, those, those things aren't bad. Planning for retirement financially, that's not bad. But putting my confidence and my hope in my plans and how good they are or aren't, that's bad. That's where the danger is for us. Jesus's disciples should be people who understand our short-sightedness. Understand we don't see what's around the corner. We should understand not only our short-sightedness, but we should understand our dependence upon God. And if your confidence in life is in your plans, if your confidence is in your ability to gather for yourself security and safety, here's what you will find. You will find your confidence misplaced. And at some point in your life, your confidence is going to turn from confidence to anxiety and fear and frustration. And on the rare occasion that your plans actually come to pass, pride. Right? Pride. Like, look what I did. Look, look at the wonderful things that I created. Look, look, I was the one who randomly accidentally bought stock in Tesla when it was a penny. And now look how much money. Like, we become prideful about who we are and what we do and, and all the things that we've accomplished. And sometimes, like, that's just accident. But this is what happens when we misplace our confidence. So, we think about this. And we think about the reality that life's plans are also fragile. How... From a real sense, a practical sense, should Jesus' disciples plan? Because we've already said planning is okay. We've already said planning is good. How should we plan? Well, I think one of the first things that we can do, one of the most important things we can do, is to hold our plans very, very lightly. Hold our plans very lightly. A lot of you know, Karen and I stepped into 
um, adopting another kiddo. Um, we stepped into that process almost two and a half years ago um, now. It's almost been three years. Um, in fact, there's a, a picture of him up on the screen. Um, his name is Andrew. I think it's up on the screen. Well, there you go. You can also see my notes, but anyway. Um, so um, Andrew is the little guy that we have, have been seeking to pursue and the, the little guy that we uh, want to see uh, adopted and brought into our home. And like I said, the, this process has been going on for two, two and a half years now. And when we stepped into that process, we made all kinds of plans thinking that he would be in our home at a certain time and, and certain point in that process. And so just to give you an idea, when we started adopting Andrew, or started the, the process for adopting Andrew, he was three. And we thought, okay, we can handle a three-year-old in our home. Like, that would be great. Now, it's looking like he's going to be seven. So now we've gone from a three-year-old in our home to a seven-year-old in our home who's blind and who doesn't speak English. Like, that's a little more scary, right? Like, that's not what I planned. That's not what I expected. But with that also, like, in that process, like, it takes money to be able to adopt a child, and so you plan for that, and you start processing through that, and, and we're looking at, like, okay, when it comes time to go get Andrew, we need to be in Thailand for 16 days, give or take. That's expensive, and so we were planning, like, how are we going to do that, and we started putting money away and thinking about how we were going to accomplish that, and we're thinking, okay, our plan's good, like, we're going to get there, we'll have it, and then last year, our furnace went out. And then as if that wasn't good enough, the guy who came said, well, we can't just replace your furnace. We need to replace your air conditioning unit too. There go our plans, right? Like our plans are gone. And so what happens to us in a moment like that? If our confidence is in our plans, then, then our world turns to turmoil. And I would be lying if my world didn't turn to a little turmoil because I was relying too much on my plans, instead of the Lord's plans. But when we hold our plans lightly, then we're able to put our trust in God, in his plans. Because while I don't know, you don't know, we don't know what's around the corner, guess who does? He does. It's not a surprise to him. And, and I am able then, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm able to rest and to trust in his love for me. And his love for my family, that he is never going to forsake us nor leave us, that, that if this is his will, he's going to provide a way for it. Like that when he looks at, I haven't met Andrew, God has. I don't even really know what loving Andrew is like yet. God loves Andrew. He sees Andrew. He's with Andrew. And if I believe that God cares for him then I have to believe that God is going to do what's best for him too. And God will work it out. It doesn't mean we don't plan. We did. We tried. But when those plans fail, it doesn't mean that God has left us. It means that we still have to trust in God. And so our plans, yeah, they're fragile. But we need to hold those plans lightly. Secondly, I think James points us to realize that life's days are fragile. The psalmist says, my days pass away like smoke. Again, encouraging, right? My days pass away like smoke. I'm 44 years old. And if you had told me that when I was 20, I'd been like, yeah, I believe that. I really believe that now. And I'm probably going to believe it more when I'm 65 if the Lord blesses me that way. 
because I don't know if I'll make it to 65. I don't know if I'll make it to 104 like my great-grandfather. I'm, I'm not even sure I want to make it to 104 like my great-grandfather. Right? But I don't know the number of my days. I have no idea. They could end today. They could end 15 years from now. They could end 50 years from now. But God knows my days. He knows the number of my days. Psalms 139 says, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. My days are written. And in comparison to eternity, they are a mist. They're a vapor. And so for us as disciples, how are we to walk? What's our life supposed to look like when we recognize that? Well, I think the first thing that we can do, or one of the things that we can do, is we can focus on the quality of our days, not just the quantity of our days. You may not know how many days you have, but brothers and sisters, we can make each one of them count. We can make the ordinary days count for things that will last for eternity. How many moments have we lost scrolling through entertainment? How many moments have we lost staring at screams or paying attention to things that don't really matter at the end of days, uh, at the end of the day, right? Like how many days have we lost? An opportunity to go to a funeral uh, this weekend of a wonderful matriarch of this church, Joyce McCready. And I got to hear her family stand up and talk about how she loved them and cared for them and how she was the, the rhythm, the metronome of their lives. And here's what nobody said as they stood up and talked about Joyce and her legacy. None of them were like, well, I just loved how much grandma watched TV. I just love how much time grandma spent at work. That wasn't the stories. That wasn't what made it count. Joyce knew what mattered, and what mattered was the relationships and the people and the, and the faith that she tried to follow after. And this is the call for us. We don't know how many days we have, but boy, howdy, we can make today worth it. With the people you're around, with the families, the kids, the, the relationships, the opportunity to share the gospel, like we can make this one count. Understanding the fragility of our days helps us to make the ones that we have count. It also helps us to trust in the security of God's hand. He holds our lives. We hate death. We all hate death. Absolutely hate death. And while it comes to every single one of us, we serve a God who is sovereign over death. And while we are not to live foolishly, we can live without fear, knowing that just staying indoors, staying in our lives, secluded, trying to put ourselves in a bubble to protect ourselves from harm doesn't add a single day to our lives. And not only does it not add a single day to our lives, but it doesn't live in recognition that while the days here may be a mist, in Jesus Christ, I have innumerable days guaranteed to me in the new heaven and new earth, right? Not just a few, innumerable, uncountable. It's called eternity. In a real heaven, in a real earth. Our God, who is sovereign over death, he's sovereign over our lives, and we need to live like it. And so with this in mind, James now asks a question, and it's a really important question. He asks, what is your life? What is your life? 
because he wants us to consider life's substance. Have you ever thought about that question? What is your life? Jesus tells us that he came to give an abundant life. The focus of life isn't upon possessions and wealth or profit. In fact, Jesus makes it clear that this isn't life at all. Luke chapter 12, verse 15 says, a man's life does not consist of his possessions. Jesus, when he talks about the abundant life, he is referring to something much greater than physical abundance. He is pointing to a deep and rich spiritual abundance. A deep and rich spiritual abundance. You actually see it up on the screen a little bit different, but it's spiritual abundance is what we need to be mindful of. We live in a world, it measures success very, very different than Christianity does, than faith in Jesus does. We measure, measure success and influence and how much we gain and how much we have, all based upon those things. And, and we look at people and we say, well, they're successful because of these things and successful because of these things. But Jesus says, you're successful if you have found the abundant life in him, in him alone. Jesus knows that the things of this world, like, that they're not wrong. In fact, they can be a gift at times, but he knows that overflowing abundant, beautiful life comes from contentment and abundance and peace and rest and in the inheritance that he has promised. That's the abundant life. Deep down, we know it, don't we? Like, don't we know this deep down? Like, we're about to turn to Christmas. I went into the store the other day, and there's Christmas stuff next to Halloween stuff. Why? Like, Oh, look, I can buy a Christmas tree or a skull. Anyway, as I digress, like we know we're getting ready to go into Christmas. Now, most of you know the story, the Christmas Carol, right? Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. Uh, Christmas Carol. Now, in that story, in the movie, you've got Ebenezer Scrooge and you've got uh, Bob Cratchit. And we all know the hero of the story is Bob Cratchit. Because you've got Bob Gratchit who, who doesn't have anything. Like he's poor and yet he has contentment and he has joy and he has family and he sits around with his uh, family around a fire and around a table and they eat what they have and they're thankful for what they have. And you've got Ebenezer Scrooge who has everything and he's miserable. Nobody goes, you know who I want to be? Ebenezer Scrooge. Nobody wants that. Because we know what real life is. Now, you may want all that Ebenezer Scrooge has, plus the spirit of Bob Cratchit, but you don't want to be Scrooge. And so, so Dickens gets it right in understanding that there's something in us that's looking for a life that's much deeper than just stuff that we have at our table. But you know where he misses it? We don't become Bob Cratchit by just some self-reflection given to us by some ghosts that visit us, we can only come to that place through Jesus. That's where he gets it wrong. Only Jesus can give us that kind of a life. Only Jesus can bring us contentment where we can, like Paul, say, in all things, in all things, I have found the secret of contentment. And it is easy for us to forget this, that the kind of abundance that should dominate a disciples' pursuits and possessions is something way different than what this world would say. And we should be leveraging our things, leveraging our possessions to find spiritual abundance, to find Christ. So we should consider life substance. We should also in that not only look to spiritual abundance, but we should also look to knowing the Father. Look what Jesus says in John chapter 17. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Brothers and sisters, eternal life starts now. Like right now. Because right now, we have had the door open to us for us to enter into relationship with the Almighty God because of the work of Jesus Christ. We've been redeemed and reconciled, and he has now invited us to say, like, come and get to know me. Come come commune with me and, and walk with me. We are to be seeking rich, experiential, true knowledge of him. We're to be marinating our lives in who he is and walk with him in every breath and every decision. This should be at the forefront of our thinking as we plan, as we live our lives. And so many Christians miss a huge part of this to our detriment. And you say, what do you mean what I miss? We think that knowing God comes from just reading about him. And so we say, oh, I want to know more about God. And so we, we just study the scriptures. Now here, listen, is that important? Is this important? Okay, thank you. There's a couple of you, right? Absolutely, this is important, but it goes way beyond this. It goes way beyond this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here are coffee drinkers? All right. That's not bad. Based on how much coffee we go through on a Sunday morning, some of y'all are lying, but nonetheless, I know there's more of you that drink coffee. Okay, so if you're a coffee drinker, let me, let me just tell you something. I have found the best coffee uh, I, I, Todd, help me find this, all right? So at Spice Merchant, they have a coffee called Cookie Coffee, all right? So Spice Merchant should pay me for something, I'm sure, but nonetheless, like, it is the best coffee. Like when you go there, I don't know if you've ever been to the Spice Merchant, I know it's kind of bougie, but nonetheless, if you've ever been there, you should pick your coffee and they open the lid and they kind of fluff it to you and you get to smell it, like, and then they give it to you and you take it home and when you open up that little bag of Spice Merchant coffee, the cookie coffee, it's like opening up a snickerdoodle. I'm, I'm not kidding. And when you're drinking it, you sit down and it's like a fall, like a fall morning and, and it's cold outside and I'm drinking my mother's snickerdoodles. Like it's amazing. And I can tell you about cookie coffee. I can tell you how good it is. I can tell you how good it tastes. I can tell you how good it smells. I can, I can point you to the Spice Merchant's website and they can tell you how they make it and how they, uh, they get all the flavors stuck in there. But guess what? You'll never know how good cookie coffee is until you put it in your mouth. So many people live the Christian life like that. But they sit around and they study all about Jesus and they study about his faithfulness and how he says he's going to answer their prayers and he's never going to leave them and forsaken, how he's called them into this great adventure to live life for him. And they never step outside the door. They never actually do anything. They never actually live with Jesus. They learn about his faithfulness, but they never actually learn his faithfulness because they never put themselves in a position to experience it. Paul learned about all the Old Testament stories regarding faithfulness. But when he came to faith in Jesus, he went on missions. And he began to go and tell people about Jesus. And you know where it led him? It led him to boats that would crash in the Mediterranean Sea. It led him to the prisons. It led him to get beat and stoned. But he met the experience of the real God in his life that went way beyond Scripture memorization. Christians, so many people in the church today don't know Jesus because they're not living with Jesus. They just know about Jesus. This is not the life he's called you to. He has called us as his people to know the Father. And it goes so much more than just Bible stories. So the call is disciples step out 
Disciples step out into faith. We have to put ourselves in places to trust Jesus, to do the work. you'll, You'll never see God open up the eyes of an unbeliever if you never share your faith with an unbeliever. Like, you just won't. You'll never see God provide for you miraculously if you've never given sacrificially. And I'm not just talking money, time, energy. Step out in faith and see God move. James then calls us to consider also life's sovereign, his sovereign. James chapter 4, verse 15 says, if the Lord wills, then we will live and we'll do this or that. That's what he wants us to get to. If the Lord wills it, then I'll live. If the Lord wants me to keep breathing, then I'll keep breathing. If he wants me to go here, then I'll go here. Like, he wants us to recognize that he is sovereign over all of our days. He is sovereign over all of our days. It's not only that he knows the number of our days, he's also the king of our days. There's a story in the Old Testament, uh, uh, the book of Esther, about Esther, who's a queen. And, and you may not know this story real quickly. Well, basically what it is, it's a, it's a chronicling of part of Israel's history where they're exiled. And there's a plot by a man named Haman to kill all the Jews at, at the um, agreement of the king of the day, um, Xerxes, right? And, and so Esther's uncle finds out about this and asks Esther to step in on behalf of the people of God. And she knows that if she goes to the king, she might be killed. Probably needs some marriage counseling there, but nonetheless. All right? So she knows that. And she asks the people, pray for me. Pray for me. And so she, they do. And she says this before she goes to the king. If I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. God is sovereign over my days. This king can't take my life unless God wants to. Like, it's not going to happen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of the men who get thrown into the fiery furnace. They look at Nebuchadnezzar and they say, well, we don't know if God's going to save us. We believe he will. But even if he doesn't, we still ain't bowing our knee. Like, like the point is, they know God is sovereign over each day that they live. And so they give him the right to tell them where to go and the right to tell them what to do. He is their king. He is their master. Is he yours? Is he mine? As we consider life's sovereign, we also consider not only his, the de- he's sovereign over our days, but he should be sovereign over our loyalties. Everything we do. I know that's a weird thing to say in this day and age, like that we should be loyal to something. But, but, but when Jesus redeems us, he doesn't just redeem us to ourselves. He redeems us to a life where we lay our lives down to follow him. He's my master. He's my teacher. He's my king. He's my God. He's my Lord. He's my savior. He's everything. He's the one who tells me what to do, where to go, and how to live. This is every part of our lives. These are the things that we do, oftentimes called the acts of commission, right? The things that we do as we go about our lives trying to provide for our families, the things that we, uh, we go to church and all of those types of things. And we, we're familiar with those things, right? We're familiar with the reality that sometimes we commit sins and sometimes we commit things faithful to God and we recognize those ideas of commission, like he rules over all of them. So he gets to tell us what's right and what's wrong and where to go and what not to do. But one thing that church often misses is he's also sovereign over the things that we 
neglect to do, the things that we might omit in our lives. Look what it says at the very end of our text. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it's sin. Whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. See, here's the thing. You can say, I, I want to be a good Christian. And I'm going to try to go to church. I'm trying to do this. I I'm going to try to not watch bad movies. Or I'm not going to do these different things. But if you know things that God has commanded you to do and you don't do them, you're in sin. You know that it's God's will that you be in his word. Don't we? Are you in his word? Because what James is telling us is if you're not, that's a sin of omission. By simply not doing what he's called you to do, like you're in sin against God. You say, well, ah, I'm not a reader. I don't like to read much. Well, there's audio Bibles. Like there's ways for us to get to that, right? I say, well, God knows. He, we know that God wants us to give to the church and to his kingdom. Well, I, don't, I can't do that because of this and because I need to pay this bill or because I haven't gotten this raise yet. Well, has he called us to do it or has he not called us to do it? Like when you go to work and you're sitting next to a coworker who doesn't know Jesus, you know Jesus wants you to tell him about Jesus don't you? But I'm not an evangelist. It doesn't matter. Like what James is telling us is that our entire life, everything we do and the decisions we make should be dictated by the will of God. And we know oftentimes what he wants us to do. It's just scary. Isn't it? Or is it just scary for me? Like, it's scary. Like, sometimes when he calls you to, to share your faith with somebody who doesn't know Jesus, like, it's, it's scary. When he asks you to step in to serve in a way that you haven't ever served before, like, it's scary. Or to tithe, and you've never done it before, and you're afraid of not being able to pay the bills, like, it's scary. Or to open up the word of God and be like, I don't understand it, and I don't know what I'm going to get out of it. Like, that even can be scary. But he's called us into it. And if we refuse to do it, it's sin. I love this quote by a book called The Kingdom Unleashed, Cherry Truesdale and Glenn Sunshine. It says this, the power of God is not being held back by the evil one. It lays dormant behind an unlocked door called obedience, waiting for the people of God to open the door and let it flow. And the people of God who are being unleashed are the ordinary, unlikely folks. I love that quote. Like what's holding back the power of the church isn't Satan. He can't stop the Lord. What's holding back sometimes the power of the church is the church isn't being obedient to do the things that he's called us to do. And he's just saying like, let's open the doors. Do we want to see the doors opened in this city? I hope more than the ones that responded do. And I'm not trying to say that to be mean, but like, here's the reality. Like, if we want to see God do mighty things in our lives, mighty things in our families, mighty things in our communities, mighty things in our cities, mighty things in this world, the church has to step out in obedience. We have to do the things he's told us to do. And then we'll see God stretch out his mighty hand. So if you call yourself a believer, if you're a Christian, where is your confidence?
is in your plans, in your strength, in your health, in the things you have. What kind of life are you pursuing? Are you pursuing the kind of life that's truly substantive? The kind of life that will lead us into eternity with the Lord? Or are we pursuing a life that the world says that's the life you should have? What kind of life are we pursuing? True life in his will and service, deepening his, in, in knowledge of him, is that the kind of life you're pursuing? Seeking to be obedient in all things? Or are you seeking possessions and comforts? Those are questions for us as believers. But I can't end this sermon here because James goes on in verses one through six of chapter five, and I believe that James is speaking in that section to non-believers, those who have not put their faith in Jesus, for them to consider life's end. So if you're someone here that doesn't know Jesus, I want you to listen to me. If you haven't put your faith in Jesus, I want you to hear me this morning. If you are not a believer, you are being told in this section of the text by God that your possessions, the things you put your trust and your hope in, they're already gone. You just don't know it yet. They're already gone. They're rotting away and you can't hold on to them. No matter how much you put in your storehouses, sooner or later, you're going to pass it off to somebody else. Think about the weirdness that someday somebody else is going to live in your house. Every one of us. It's either going to burn down or someone else is going to live in it. Now, that's a hard thing for us to think about. But the point is, it's already gone. You're putting your confidence in something that's already going to waste away. You're being told by the Lord that storing that you are storing up treasure for yourself, it's just not the treasure you think it is. You're storing up treasure of judgment. If your confidence is in your control and in your ability to make plans and your ability to navigate life and your ability to make profit and protect your life and secure your life, to satisfy yourself, the very few days that you have on this earth, if you only live for yourself and you have no concern for God's will, no concern for others, no concern for anything but the now, simply fattening your own heart and living in luxury, your wages is death. That's what's coming. And not just death in this life. We all face that. But a death that's way worse than that. And listen, I, I want you to hear me. Like, I know that feels harsh. I don't say that out of that. I, I don't say it out of harshness or anger or frustration. I say it because we love you and because Jesus died for you. We say it because those things, that's not life. That stuff is going to proceed and lead you to death. We say it because we're pleading with you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. And that's the important thing here, right? Like, like, it's your life. You can't hold it. But he can hold it for you. But you have to give yours up to him. Like, you have to hand it over to him and say, take it. It's yours. I'm dependent upon you. And that's what he's calling you to. Life is fragile. And God sent his son to provide a way Provide a way so that you wouldn't have to be 
enslaved by the fragility of life, constantly dealing with anxiety of trying to hold on to it, keep it, find it. He redeemed it so that you could find salvation and hope and security in him. That he could give you something permanent. So here's what I want to ask us to do this morning. I want you to go ahead and just, would you close your eyes, bow your heads. And just ask everybody to do that, like, even if that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, because we don't need to see what's going on this morning as we wrap up our time. But I just want you to hear the words of Jesus. If you, you, you know whether or not you are living a submitted life to Jesus Christ or not. You know whether you've given yourself to Jesus. And if you haven't, I want you to hear his words, not mine. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up in the last days. In other places, Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. We already heard the text of scripture that says, Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundant. Like this is what Jesus is doing. God has told us that he so loved the world that he sent his son here to die for us that we might find life. And that is the hope you have in front of you. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to ask you, if you are somebody right now and you're like, man, I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it means, but I want to know that I can have life, an abundant life. And I want to be able to cast my cares and anxieties upon Jesus. I want to be able to walk with him because I believe what James is saying and the reminder of, of life's fragility and that God is the one who holds it. And you just say, I just want to believe Jesus. Like, I want to just ask you a question. Would you just be so bold to, to just raise your hand? I just want to be able to pray for you. Just, just lift it high. All right, you can go ahead and put your hands down. I, I want to pray over you right now. And then we're going to close with a song. And as we close with the song, I, I want to just encourage, if you want prayer, or maybe you're one of those that raised your hands and you want to talk with somebody, like we'd love to do that. You can't walk all this road on your own. And what, maybe the prayer you pray to the Lord, like that's between you and him. And I know that, but it's a lonely road and it's a hard road. And he's called you to do it with people. So let's pray. Father, I just want to pray for those that raise their hands. Those that are in this room, those that are listening online. Father, I want to pray that you would um, you just meet them just in a real powerful way right now. Father, we recognize that, that life, it is fragile. And when life here ends, we're gonna come face to face with you. And we're either gonna stand in the confidence of the work of Jesus, looking forward to innumerably more days, or we're gonna stand in the merits of our own works, our own strength and our own plans, and all the things we did on this world alone. 
we're going to find ourselves standing before the judge, the king of kings. We're going to find ourselves without an answer to the debt that we owe you. And so, Lord, if there's some in this room that they they know that that's the case for them and they don't want to be there, Father, I want to pray that you would help them to cast their faith upon you to recognize they can't get there on their own. They can't have life on their own. They can't find the kind of contentment and the peace anywhere but Jesus Christ. And you sent your son here to die for us so that he would take our sins, he would take our fails, he would take our pride, take all that stuff upon his own shoulders and he would give us his righteousness so that we could come before you blameless, to redeem us, to buy us, to reconcile us. Lord, I pray for any in this room that are not in that space, Lord, that they would hear your voice pleading, come, come to me, come to me, that they would find life. Give them boldness to step out and tell someone this morning. Father, I pray for us as believers, disciples, your people in this room, that we would live lives, not in the confidence of our own plans, not in the confidence of what we can do in this world, but we would live lives solely dedicated to your will. That we would be fearless people, that we would know you and that we would find and experience the kind of contentment that Paul did and that we would be zealous and strive for that. And Lord, that you would unleash in this congregation this morning the power of your spirit in obedient people into this community, into this world for the sake of your glory and the sake of your name. Father, we pray these things this morning in the name of your son, Jesus.